Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. But we're going to have a little fun today as we kick off our new series called 10 Words. Uh, I think that this series is going to be encouraging to you. It's going to be challenging to you because we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments one each week throughout our summer. Our summer series can go one by one through the Ten Commandments. And if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you're like, okay, hey, I know these things. Uh, maybe I've heard them before. But actually, the average American doesn't know the Ten Commandments. But we're going to explore something before we go to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to ask you a question. I want to know, okay, now don't say it out loud, keep it inside of your little heads, and don't start singing the jingle. Do you know the ingredients of a Big Mac? The ingredients of a Big Mac. Do you know, okay, I'll give you a second, what is inside of a Big Mac? Now, the jingle for us who are in the 70s and 80s starts to come out like it was all over the the television. We saw it all the time. It drove us to want to buy a Big Mac. There are seven specific ingredients, so I want you to keep track to see if you know what they are. First of all, okay, it's two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a... Okay, we're all going to sing it. I'm just kidding. We're it. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That's what we heard over and over and over again. And so we as kids like, Mom, I want a Big Mac because it was just ingrained in us and we know the ingredients of the Big Mac. So just out of curiosity, who had all seven of them? Show of hands, class participation time, it's graduation, hold on. It's graduation Sunday. Can you please be a good example for our graduates? All right. Raise your hand. Who had all seven of those? Okay, majority of people had all seven. Very good. Now, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. You ready for this one? How many of the Ten Commandments do you know? Okay, I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. How many of the Ten Commandments do you know without seeing anything? So don't put anything up here yet. (laughs) Don't help them. Don't help them, man. We're going to see how many of the Ten Commandments you know. Okay, here we go. Number one, no other gods before me, okay? Number two, do not make idols. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. How are you doing so far? Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, don't be a false witness against your neighbor. Number 10, do not covet. Ten Commandments. Okay, right now this is why we're having class participation. Okay, how many of you got all 10 of those right? Let's see your hands. For those watching online and listening to podcasts, there's like three. Okay, (laughs) it's okay, don't feel bad. Because most of us don't know the Ten Commandments, And the reason why is culture has shifted quite a bit. The Ten Commandments were something that were spoken about quite a bit generational. 50 years ago, it was something that was more talked about, more common. It was, you'd see them in, in, on government buildings. It was something that was kind of the rules of how that we live by. 
But then the Ten Commandments, along with Christianity in America, slowly started to slip away where we become a non-Christian nation. And so the Ten Commandments now have a completely different look in our lives. The reason why the Ten Commandments are starting to slip away is because we start to feel like maybe the Ten Commandments don't relate to us anymore because we are New Testament Christians. And those who are just joining us into the series, we talked about how the Old Testament is extremely important for us to understand because it makes clear what the New Testament is pointing towards. And so to say that this is no longer important actually pushes against because the New Testament teaches about the Old Testament. So in this series, we're going to be linking these two bridges together of how the Ten Commandments are just as important today as they ever were and how we don't like to do them. If we're completely honest, the whole have a Sabbath day and keep it holy, is that an American culture? I've got six soccer tournaments. My, my daughter plays volleyball. I've got to get all my work done. Maybe I'll go to church. And the average American, which is now less, it's like 1.3 times a month. I'll get to church or I'll keep a holy day. It's just not that important because now everything is mobile. So I do I really have to have a holy day? Well, he said, have a holy day and don't kill people in the same group of things. But we don't equate them. We feel like some are up for debate and some are ones that are like super, super serious and I will do this because these are the ones I think are important. The problem is that you don't get to pick what's important because you're not God. God wrote the Ten Commandments and so we look at them through the lens of what's best for me, but God looks at it what is best for us. This is what I mean by this. I'm willing to say that you, did, you probably knew do not murder. That's a good one. You probably knew... Do not steal, because those have to do, you don't want people to kill you or steal your stuff. So you're willing to listen to and adhere to things in which culture, your life and culture say, okay, these are really bad things. If I steal or I kill, I'm going to jail. But you're not going to jail if you don't honor your father and mother. So now you're like, well, this one's open for debate. What if I don't have a good mother and father? What if... I just am so busy, I'm so busy, so busy, I'm so busy. You're not so busy. To have a day that I choose to set apart for the Lord God Almighty in my day of rest and of worship. Who are we to say which one's more important than the rest? But instead, we choose, we start to say, I like these and I don't like these, much like a lot of what Jesus has taught us. We pick and choose. But what Jesus says is that if you love me, you're going to obey me, and we're going to dig into what that all means. So I'm going to go on a rant here for a second, but it's because I love you. Because a good coach is going to push his team. This is what I'm going to say to you, fam. Please, please, please. I know it's summertime. I know we've got cabin time. I, I get that. It's Wisconsin. Um, you're here today because, oh, it's raining. I'm not going to go. Right, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> this is what I'm asking you, okay? I understand that, that attendance shifts. I'm asking you to stay tuned to this series. We put it on podcasts for you. If you don't know what our podcasts are, you can go on our website, run Spotify and Pandora and all those things. Uh, I'm asking you to watch online if you're absent. I'm asking you to stay connected because all 10 of these are going to link together and be an important piece of where we're going as a future of Mosaic Church in the fall. And so there are some of the commandments that you are not going to know very well. You're not going to be familiar with them. And there's some you're like, okay, I know this. We are going to have a challenging 10 weeks together, and even if you're absent, please stay connected. 
because this is going to build upon each other, and you understanding and knowing these are very important for your walk with Jesus. Number two, here's next level. Like, oh, I'm, I'm on that. I'm here, right? Number two, I challenge you to read uh, Exodus 20, 1 to 17, which is what we're going to be teaching out of in this series. Read it at least once a week, if not daily. And next, next level, memorize the Ten Commandments. Memorize them. For those who knew them, to the three people, congratulations. You're like, I got to memorize. The rest of us have a growth area, which is great. That's okay. We want to grow and become more like Jesus. Memorize the Ten Commandments. So now as you are processing life, you can take them through the lens of what we're actually going to be talking about today in the very first, which says, there's no gods before me. Before we go there, I want to open things up with sharing about how did Moses get the Ten Commandments? How did this whole thing come to Israel? Where did this, the tablets come from? Uh, those of the 80s and 70s, remember, you know, the whole Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, uh, you know, let my people go and all that kind of stuff, uh, classic movie. Um, but that wasn't exactly true. We look at the Bible for it is true, but eh, grossly entertaining. So we want to look at how did this whole thing come to be? The backstory. Israel is now captive. So they are slaves in Egypt, and they've been crying out to God for years and years and years. They're crying out, please, please, please free us, please free us. And there comes a time and moment in which God said, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to send one to let them go. He chooses a leader called Moses. Moses was not the top pick in what we would say would be a CEO of one of our top companies. He had a lot of flaws and issues, which is, as you read the Bible, those are the people God uses, also known as me. I've got flaws and issues too. But he chooses people who, are, who listen to him and obey. And so Moses is picked to go and free the people of Israel. Now, as he goes into Egypt, there's all the plagues that happen. We won't go through all that right now. As now the plagues are done, the Egyptians are freed, or freed the Israelites. They go on their way, and now they are traveling. There's lots of stories in there we're not going to detail today. They get to a point where God now starts giving them rules and laws of how to live for him. Jesus, or sorry, God has chosen the people of Israel to be his special people, to be set apart from everybody else. They have a special purpose that is coming, which is going to be the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. And so he takes a group of people, these Israelites, and says, this is what it looks like to be set apart for my purposes. So he starts giving them things, and then he starts saying, this is how you live as a group of people in the way of I have for you. So remember, they all grew up in Egypt. They all grew up in Egypt. They grew up with, during a, a culture which was non-following God. They grew up in a culture of Egypt which worshipped many, many, many different gods. They grew up in a culture in which there's all these gold statues they bow down and to worship. They grew up in a culture which was counterculture to the way of God's way. So if you feel like for some reason we're some special generation like fighting through a culture that doesn't believe in God's way, we're just part of God's story. It's been happening since the beginning. Because now the Israelites are in this culture, which are non-God-fearing, non-God-worshipping. He pulls them apart and says, okay, I'm going to give you 10 guidelines of what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to follow me. That's, we start out here in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 and 19. And this is what's going to be happening here. We're going to see that God himself is going to come and talk to them. And as he comes and talks to Israel, they are at this campsite, 
And this starts with a campsite. They're just camping out. Hey, Door County, right? They're camping out, and all of a sudden, the presence of God comes on a mountain. Check this out, Exodus 19, 16 to 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke built up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. I think a passage like this helps to give us some perspective of, of God that we don't take very often because we, we don't see these things. Okay, we are out camping, and there's this large encampment of people, and in the distance is a mountain. We don't know how far the mountain is. We just know it's, they're not at it yet because they travel to it, and they see thunder and lightning start striking over this thing, and they hear this loud trumpet blast. In our technological days, we would say, oh, it's probably just an airplane going by or whatever, right? They had never heard anything like this, and we have never heard anything like this. It's a trumpet blast literally from heaven, which took them so much, so much to the edge of fear that the entire camp is quaking. They're quaking. They are terrified of what is happening. So they're watching all of this nature and this trumpet blast, and they start to just shake and tremble. And if you've ever been in that place in nature where you feel completely out of control, maybe it's a tornado or a huge storm coming in, and you're like, I am so small, and that is so big, take that times 50. And our leader Moses says, hey fam, let's go head to the mountain. That's something we skip there. Moses is the one to say, hey, let's go meet him. And could you imagine what the conversations were? Like, I'm not going, man. I'm not going closer to that. And Moses, with confidence, knowing that God's presence is there, says, hey, we're going to go meet God. So they now get together. They start to walk towards the edge of this mountain and the base of the mountain. And we start to see something that is terrifying now, that the entire mountain, has God has come down in fire, which has set ablaze this thing, so smoke is everywhere. We're talking about this whole thing is on fire because the presence of God and the trumpets now are getting louder and louder, and it has to be literally terrifying. And that's something we see in scriptures, is that when the presence of God comes, people are terrified. They are terrified because they realize the holiness of God versus the sinfulness of us is that we have no place to even be there. We are so unbelievably small compared to the mightiness of God. This is an important thing for us to remember because, because we do not see in this day fire and mountains starting on fire and things like that, we tend to loosen our relationship with God to have a, we lose our healthy fear of God. And when I say fear of God, we're not afraid he's going to do evil against us. Our fear that we have is the awe and worship of the grandeur of who God is, the God of the universe, the God who has, he knows everything that's going on. He knows everything you've done this week. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows every planet and every star. He's named them all because they're his. He is huge. And he decides to come to this little blue planet, part of this little solar system, on this little mountain, and pff, it's on fire. And these humans are sitting there 
terrified, and the trumpet blasts are now getting louder and louder. This would, I don't know about you, I, would, I don't even know what I would do. I would fall to the ground shaking. I would be so terrified because death is imminent at this point. There's no way we're going to live through this. The power and the presence and the holiness of God is so awe-inspiring that we would all be face down on the ground worshiping God. But why does it take a mountain on fire for us to worship him? Why does it take that? Why do we go through our lives daily and not even sometimes think about the greatness of our God? Why is it, I mean, I'm, walk, I'm talking with, about myself too as we process this. Why are there moments in our lives, days, weeks, months, there's just, we don't even think about him. There's not an urgency or a desire or a wanting. And this is why, friends, I'm gonna tell you why. It's because we substitute the greatness of God for garbage of this earth. The greatness and holiness of God, which is available in the presence of time with him, worship of him, in his word. We get to have time with him, but we say, ah, God, I'm so busy. My daughter's soccer tournament is so much important than you. Now, look, I'm a coach, so I understand that things happen on Sundays. And yes, Sabbaths were Saturdays for the Jewish people. We're saying, do you take purposeful time in one of your seven days to keep it holy, to worship, and to rest? Because that's one of the commandments. Do you purposefully have no other gods before him? Do you purposefully honor your mother and father? Do you purposefully not covet that sweet new Ford F-150 that your neighbor got? Do you purposely, you get where I'm going with this, right? We tend to let those go. And then we wonder, why isn't God in my life? Why don't I feel the power and presence of God in my life? Why do I? Because we're not even entering the mountain. In fact, we're not even near the mountain. We're so far from the mountain because we're worried about ourselves. The presence of God is over there, and we're not even looking in the right direction. But if we turned our eyes to the presence of God and came to the foot of the mountain and knew the power and presence of God in our lives, everything would change in our perspectives. And this is how the Ten Commandments began. This is how it began with this. Now, having said that, that's the background. Now you're terrified, you're on the ground, you're shaking. Moses speaks and he goes up the mountain. As he goes up the mountain, he says, hey, go tell the people don't come up here because they're going to die. There's no way that people can get up there. Now, I, this, is my, this is my Jason story. You guys know I like to create color. Moses has to go up the mountain, okay? He's going up the trek. Everything's on fire. Now, we assume, right, God has a pathway for him that he's not burned up and that he can breathe through this. This is literal smoke is on this mountain. So you're walking around and everything's on fire. You're like, bro, this is intense. Could you imagine the awe and wonder of Moses as he walks up this mountain? He says, tell the people not to come back down, come up here. They're not gonna make it, but go down and get Aaron. I want Aaron to come up with you. So now Moses has to turn and walk all the way down a mountain. Now, I don't know if you've climbed mountains. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, for those who have climbed mountains, they're called switchbacks because when it's too steep, you have to go back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And so climbing a mountain to go up for God to say, hey, go tell him not to, you couldn't have just said that? <laughs> he doesn't say that. He turns around and goes back down the mountain. He goes down to the mountain and says, don't come up, Aaron, come up with me. And now Aaron and Moses climb the mountain. They go up to come down to go back up again. Again, the presence of God was there 
But Moses climbed the mountain. He went to where the presence of God was. And I'm wondering, was the awestruckness of being able to talk to God, and we don't know what Moses was thinking or his heart, right? We're just trying to fill some color in here. But we know that there's a mountain on fire, that there's trumpets blasting, the holiness of God is there. And he's like, dude, I want to be a part of this. He climbs the mountain. He comes down. Don't come up, guys. He goes back up. And this is what the very first thing God says to him in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. This is what he says. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. Simple verse, first thing said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You can have no other gods before me. Very fascinating that he starts the conversation of how they should live by saying, here's the deal. I'm the one who did all these miracles. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who saved you. It was not that golden calf that you were worshiping back in Egypt. Think about this. It is highly assumed, if not some, a majority or a lot of the people of Israel had assimilated into the culture, just like we as Christians assimilate into the sin of our culture. That there were some, if not a majority of them, who were worshiping many gods, and that Yahweh, the Lord, was one of the gods that they accepted that one of the gods that they thought was okay because they grew up hearing there's a whole lot of ways to get to God. There's lots of gods. You worship all the different gods. And so they're like, well, that makes sense. Why wouldn't I? So God sets himself apart by saying, I am the one who is the one who freed you. I am the Lord God Almighty who got you out of Egypt. He establishes his, his name and his rank right out of the chute. And then he says this, because I'm the one who did this, you can have no other gods before me. Culturally, we understand that they probably had a whole lot of knickknacks and gods in their homes. And we culturally would assume that some, if not a majority, thought that it was okay and that there's a lot of ways to heaven. We just have to find a pathway. And we can assume that some, if not the majority, thought that Yahweh or the Lord God Almighty was a pathway and so for God to establish there is no other gods, another way, another interpretation of the word is besides me. There are no other gods. I am it. I'm it. There's no, there's no conversation here. There's no thought process. There's no negotiations. But God, I really like praying to the golden cow that's in my house. There was no negotiations. I am the Lord God. I saved you. I'm it, period. So having said that, we start to think about what we worship because we're told not to have other things before God. But the truth is, we put other things before God. In fact, we create gods in our life that go before Yahweh. Now, you may say, well, I'm not Hindu and Christian at the same time. But I want you to think about this. This is a way to process our God. Think of it this way. The things we adore is what we worship, and what we worship is our God. Let me say that again. The things that we adore is what we worship, and what we worship is our God. So for you, it could be your kids. It could be your kids. It could be your kids' schedules. It could be your job. It could be your hobbies. We take things that we adore 
And we say, God, you are not part of this story because this is mine. I want this. This is part of my story. And we worship things. And the American culture, we worship power and we worship money like nobody else in the world. We worship prestige. We worship our stuff. We worship, worship, worship because it gets all of our adoration, all of our time, all of our resources. But the Lord God says, nothing ever comes before me, no matter what. Back to the multiple gods. We, as a culture, now believe, and maybe you believe this, I'm going to push back on you today and challenge your thinking, because it's not what the Lord God said. We, as a culture, believe that there's lots of ways of heavens and lots of interpretations of what I want is okay, what I believe is okay, what you believe is okay, the term is relativism, and as long as we both believe what's okay for us, that's good for us. I'm telling you, that's not this God. That's not Yahweh. When you read the Bible, whether we like it or not, he is saying there is only a way which is my way. Yahweh's way is the only way. So the Lord God never says, hey, human, since you are so mighty and huge and can start mountains on fire, why don't you interpret what's good for you and you interpret what's good for you and you, get, you can all just kind of say that you're part of me. He's never said that. What the Lord God has said, he said that there's one God, one way, and that is it. So if I'm pushing on your theology or your thoughts right now of like, yeah, but what about? We can talk all day. The Bible makes it clear. You can have no other gods besides the Lord God Almighty. There is no other God. Because only the Lord God saved Egypt out of Israel, and only the Lord God saved you out of your sin through the person of Jesus Christ. That is it. No other God has saved you. I don't know if you've looked into other religions. I, I took time doing that in my studies. I studied all the different world religions, got really deep into Islam to help understand it. And I'm telling you that only Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, has saved you, and only he says who he is. Jesus kept saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, which means Jesus is not a pathway to God or to heaven. He is the only pathway. And I know what I'm saying right now may feel very unpopular to you culturally, but I'm not here for you to like what I'm saying. My job is to teach you the word of God, and if I'm pushing on you, it's because I love you. I want you to know the real God, the real Lord Almighty, the real Yahweh, not this garbage American version we've created. The Lord God is good and he is holy and whether it's going to be now or when we see him, we're going to understand what fire on a mountain looks like because it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you believe he's a way or multiple ways, you're going to be broken down to your knees to worship him, whether you know him or not. That's how intense the Lord God is and he is very serious about his name and his holiness. So for us as believers, if we are followers of the Lord, there are not pathways. There is no other God. There is Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, found through the person of Jesus Christ. If you're new or you're exploring or journeying into what it means to follow him, friend, I challenge you to read the Bible because the Bible doesn't give multiple pathways. The Bible makes it clear there's one way. And God starts out with our first 10 commandments, boom, there's no other gods before me. So how do we know? What does this mean? Like, Jason, you're kind of scaring me. This is intense. Um, 
Uh, it's graduation Sunday. Be funny again. Okay, I'm not going to. I'm being serious now. This is what this means. How do I know that God is first in my life? When we talk about this, we realize and it says this. Yes to God before yes to anyone else, including myself. Yes to God before saying yes to anyone else, including ourselves. That means all your desires, all of your wants, all of your needs. It's yes to God before yourself. It's yes to God before your family. Yes to God before your friends. Yes to God before your job. It's yes to God in everything. He's absolute top. And the other piece of that is yes to God means we're not trying to find a way to sin and think it's okay. Yes to God means I'm not trying to find some loophole somewhere like, well, what if I really kind of just irk around this, even though it's not really God-like? That is not yes to God. Yes to God is I open my hands and I say, God, it is your way and not my way. If you tell me to go up and down the mountain 75 times, I will do it because you've told me to. That's yes to God. Yes to God is not saying, God, I don't like what you're doing and I want to create my own way because I think it's better and it makes me happy. Yes to God is I don't like necessarily what you're calling me to, but I obey you because you are good. That's what Moses looks like. That's what the leaders of the Bible look like. That's what the New Testament disciples look like. And that's what it looks like to say yes to God. If that is not in your life, friends, you're a part of a group of people that are not there as well. That's why we call this the journey. But what I'm asking you to do is, in this series, let's start to take these things seriously and literally. Not, oh, it's a good speech. Let's get some hot ham. Let's really start to process and dig into this. What if this is real? What if what Jason is saying right now in the word, reading the word of God and what I'm hearing today is that God must be first in my life because I'm giving an account to God later. Maybe I should really start to apply that and start to take steps and work and open my hands and put God first in all things. Because when God is first, his way wins, period. When God is first, his way wins. But I'm going to take this thought now over to the New Testament because Jesus actually teaches about the Ten Commandments in Mark 12, 28 to 31. In this, he's in a group of people and he's teaching a bunch of things and these outside teachers hear him speaking and they hear how wise he is and how he responds. And so one of the teachers of the law come to him and start asking a question about the Ten Commandments. This is Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, Jesus and these others, Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answers, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So this leader overhears him asking questions and we think of the Ten Commandments, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. I don't know if you knew that. 613. Remember that for Bible Trivia Day. 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And he's asking about all 613. And Jesus takes all 613, puts them into the ten, and then he breaks the ten down to two. And he says this, you need to love God with everything that you are. Everything. Your very being aches and longs for God. And secondly, like this, 
You are going to love people with that sort of intensity. Your love of God is going to reflect into you and then out to love with people that that intense way of loving. And that was it. Now, what we don't know about the Ten Commandments, or maybe you haven't seen before, is this. The Ten Commandments are actually broken into two sections. The first section talks about our relationship to God. Again, Bible trivia for you guys. One, know God's before the Lord God. Two, do not make idols. Three, do not misuse the name of God. Four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is our relationship to God. The next six deals with how we relate to others. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie about your neighbor. Don't be jealous and want what your neighbors have. The first section in our relationship to God, know God's before God, do not make idols, do not misuse the name of God or take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. If I took a poll, which I will not do, we probably miss those pretty big. I would say the majority, maybe we would say, well, what about idols? I mean, eh, we could, but we're, we're struggling there. Where we do pretty, maybe better, are the ones that have to do with people but maybe I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't lie. Like maybe I could pick a couple out of theirs. But we, well, why we're looking at it like this is that it starts with our love of God first that reflects into how we love our people. When I love God, I now love my community and the world, which is part of our vision. But it starts first with your love of God and his rightful place as the God of the universe, the king of your life. There are no exceptions. There's no getting through maybe, maybe. It is the Lord God Almighty, and that's where the Ten Commandments all start. Now, as we study and start to apply these, now it reflects into how I honor my father and mother. Now it goes into why I don't steal, even though someone has stolen from me. It goes into why I don't lie about my neighbor, even though they gave a false witness about me. We get the whys now, because we'll see as Jesus is teaching us in the New Testament, like this is the basis of actually our heart condition. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? That's the question of the day. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? The entire essence of being human. Do you love the Lord God with all that you are? Because if we are missing this, we're missing the whole entirety of what it means to follow him. And we're going to fall short of this. You're like, bro, I hear you. I don't. But the question is this. Is it on your radar of your goal? Because then when we fall, grace is there. That's the beauty of grace. God, knowing that we're going to fail in this, sent Jesus to finish it for us. But our goal and our life and our mind and our strength, all that we can as humans is going at this goal is what Jesus taught us. Everything that we are. Because if we look at Jesus, he did that. On the other side of it, do we really think of God in a way in which he's control of everything? Is he really in control of everything? It means he, is he really in control of your decisions, of your life, of your family, of your job, of your resources? Is he, is he in control of everything? Because when he is, there's no question marks. If, he, if you're struggling in these areas, here's a time, friends, and this is why I'm saying stay tuned to this series. This is, in the next 10 weeks, let's make all of the Ten Commandments come back into this one, that in 10 weeks from now, we've been in a 10-week gym working out, and we are huge. 
We've been working iron. We have been working the scriptures. We've been working so that 10 weeks from now, when I say, do you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? You can say, from 10 weeks ago, I'm a completely different person. Friends, this is so important because all of this comes through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. For those who are here, often you hear us talk about Jesus and we'll never stop talking about him because I'm obsessed with the fact that he has done everything to save us. I unashamedly say to you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through him. I will tell you there's one way to heaven is Jesus. And his teachings, he says, if you love me, you obey my commands. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying, friends, that you walk and start to grow and say, I'm there too. Not all of you are meant to talk on a stage, but all of you are meant to be disciple makers and go and tell someone the great news of salvation through Christ. If you're introverted, it's okay. God is God, tell somebody. If you're extroverted, cool, have 50 friends over, tell them all, right? (laughs) If you're working in a workplace, live the 10 commandments so that people look at you and say, who are you and what's your deal? When you have opportunity to speak the name of Jesus, speak. When you have the opportunity to live the name of Jesus, live. Because he has done everything for us, we give our life back to a sacrifice to him. That's what the first commandment means. Do you love him with all your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? All for Jesus. All for the glory of God. Because Jesus is the visible image of God given to us. Follow him. And we're going to follow the Ten Commandments. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.